We shall continue this evening with our study on the book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 15. When we last met, we looked at the fundamentals for waiting for the second coming, in which we noted that the admonition, therefore let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall, in application, is a warning to us, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it is akin to the warning by the Lord. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. An entire generation of Israel of old, save two, that is Caleb and Joshua, failed to enter the promised land because they had erroneously thought that entering therein was a matter of course. However, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through to verse 12, tells us that although they were delivered from the bondage of Egypt, that is the saw God's deliverance, crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, went through God's way of escape and judgment of Egypt, experienced the miracle of manna six days a week for 40 years, talking of God's provision, drank water, brought forth from the rock, which was Christ, were led by a pillar of cloud by day and surrounded by fire at night, talking of God's leading, presence and protection, and so on. Yet, many of them died off in the wilderness, never entering the promised land to which God was leading them, because they engaged in all manner of fleshly and sinful conduct, and they did not seek to know God intimately. Today we see a similar trend with many so-called believers in Christ, taking for granted the grace of God, and presuming that regardless of how they live here on earth, they will enter heaven. But in making it clear, that not all who came out of Egypt entered the promised land. God is making it clear to us that not all who have tasted of his goodness will enter heaven. If they take his grace for granted and treat it with levity, they will not benefit from the blessing of the second coming, which is entering heaven and living eternity, eternally with God. Indeed, as qualification for being caught up at the second coming and entering heaven, many people are trusting in their church attendance, they are preaching and serving in the church. They are having worked miracles and casting out demons. And even their relationship with their pastors and general overseers. Nothing can be further from the truth. The reality is that heaven's gate will be shut against many Christians going by the way they are living now. If you are waiting for the second coming of the Lord is to be productive, therefore, certain fundamentals must be present in your own life. A. You must, not leave, you must not love yourself or your life. B. You must not love the world or the things of the world. And C. You must be careful not to become spiritually lethargic and complacent. For instance, Peter denied the Lord because he was not prepared to die. He loved his life. Similarly, Demas loved this world so much, he deserted his post and went to Thessalonica for personal carnal benefits. In the same vein, Aaron and Israel's leaders and elders in the wilderness were so spiritually insensitive and complacent that they got a whole nation to engage in idolatry, revelries, and wantonness. Talking of corruption, debauchery, decadence, depravity, evil, immorality, lewdness, licentiousness, shamelessness, and the like. Unless we are in a serious and intimate relationship with God the Father, and Jesus Christ the Son, we shall likewise end up as did old Israel and be shut out of heaven. We must therefore wake up from our slumber, 
shun fleshly and worldly lusts, which war against our souls, and turn to God in faith, and do His will. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. So we take our scripture texts. Uh, we have three texts actually. Uh, Acts 1, 4 to 5, and Hebrews 5, 12 to 14, and 6, 1 to 2. It's actually two major portions of scripture, but we have to read uh, from Hebrews 5 to make Hebrews 6, 2 uh, meaningful. So Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and verse 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I repeat verse 5 because that's where we want to concentrate our study on for the next few weeks. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then we read Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, from verse 12, and then we'll jump to chapter 6 and read verse 1 to 2. Hebrews 5 one, uh, from 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Chapter 6, I continue from verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. May the Lord bless of his word in Jesus' name. The fifth verse of our first scripture text mentions two baptisms. Baptism of John in water and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the third text, that is Acts chapter 6 verse 2, implies that there is more than one baptism. This matter of baptisms will form our discussion over the next few weeks as the Lord helps us. Remember when we read uh, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 2, it talked about the doctrine of baptisms and puts it in plural form. So we want to look at the doctrine of baptisms. The doctrine of baptisms. And for today, we want to answer this question. Is John's baptism still relevant today? Is John's baptism still relevant today? In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 2, the doctrine of baptisms expresses the understanding of the Hebrews at the time, but speaks of a spiritual truth which is beyond what they called baptism, which is washing. The Hebrews paid a lot of attention to washing, what we call ablution. They washed their hands before they ate. They washed their faces when they came back from work. They even washed their utensils before they could eat. And before they prayed, they washed body parts also. So, in talking about the elementary doctrines or principles of Christ, Paul was trying to tell them what baptism is all about and what baptisms are. And so he mentions there the doctrine of baptisms. But he wasn't really referring to the doctrine of washings, which they knew. He was trying to correct the Jews who still laid emphasis, even though they were born again, 
still talked about washing hands before they eat, washing their, their body parts before they pray, making sure that their intelligence are clean. It is not that it is wrong to maintain simple hygiene. Do you understand? But that is not baptism. And that's the point that I was trying to, to, to draw there. Simply, the doctrine of baptisms, as per our discussion, or discussions, refers to the precepts or God's instruction or instructions regarding baptisms, which is more than washings. In engaging in this subject matter today, we shall discuss baptism broadly, and we will see that John's baptism is no longer relevant as practiced then, today. The baptism as he practiced it then is not relevant today. But the principle behind the baptism, we will see, is still relevant. So let's take our Bibles and um, look at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, and we read from verse 1 through to verse 9. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Now, this terminology, wash their hands, is referring to the same word, baptism, which is what they were talking of. And he's trying to correct that impression. In verse 4, he says, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they baptize or wash. And there are many others, many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, the baptism of cups, pitchers, baptism of copper vessels, and even of couches, like many of us today. We dedicate every and anything and sprinkle water over and any and everything. Verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? There are many of us who are engaging in the tradition of, of the elders in baptisms, rather than the, the, what the word of God is saying about baptism. In verse 6 it says, He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. Praise the name of the Lord. So we find in Mark chapter 7, this matter of washing, which was what they looked at. We shall see later that some people also thought that baptism was about washing away sin. So that's why when they go to this, when they go to the river to be baptized, they believe that their sins are being washed away. Now let's look at this. Let's look at first, please kindly uh, put one there. It should be first Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three, verse seventeen through to twenty one. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. A, a tacit reference is being made to the issue of suffering here. And ha incidentally, 
It is one of the baptisms. A baptism of suffering. Or what is referred to as a baptism of fire. In verse 19, it says, By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. There was a reason that governed the, 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 the baptism of suffering that the Lord Jesus had to go through. He suffered to be, so that we, we ourselves can be glorified. In the same way, we also will have to go through certain sufferings. The Bible says, without uh, going through this, without suffering, with, if, we, if we do not suffer with Christ, we will not reign with him. Or rather, if we suffer with Christ, we shall reign with him. In verse 20 it says, who formerly, these people he went to preach to in prison, that is in hell, who formerly were disobedient, when was the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. You're not talking of what, what they were saved through water. Were, were they really saved through water? Was it water that saved Noah and his family? It was God in an ark prepared. Now, in verse 21 it says, there is also an anti-type, which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh. Not the washing. Baptism is not about washing the body. It's not about washing corpse. It's more than that. But the answer of what? A good conscience toward God. What the baptism, what we call baptism generally in Christendom, that is Christian baptism, which is not the baptism of John, we shall see that later. It is to give us a good conscience toward God. Baptism does not wash anything. You are supposed to have been born again. You are supposed to have received Christ. And made up your mind that you are walking in this line. Then your Christian baptism becomes the, the means of declaring this conscience towards God. That I am through with the world. I am through with Satan. And now I am a part of the body of Christ. That is a member of the church. And now Christ is my Lord and my Master. And it is He that I listen to. That is the essence of water baptism or Christian baptism. And there are many people who have abused baptism not understanding it. So let me read verse 21 again. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh. But the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every baptism that took place before the resurrection of Christ, which is basically what John's baptism was, cannot be said to be Christian baptism. Because Christian baptism takes cognizance of the fact that Christ has come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, which we had read earlier, the Bible speaks of the baptism into, the, into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. It talked about how Israel... Being pa uh, passing through the sea, were baptized in Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What does that mean? Does that mean that they were dipped inside Moses? No. It's saying that they were brought along with Moses through the sea to the wilderness, but under the authority that God had placed upon Moses. Do you understand? Baptism has the, the, the idea here is that everybody comes together under one umbrella. If God permits, and we look at it next week, possibly, we'll be looking at the baptism into one body. That's the reference here. Where we all come under one umbrella, Christ. The body of Christ. Under the leadership of somebody that God has appointed, the head of the church. That is the human head of the church. Now, this same essence is mentioned in Galatians chapter 3, Verse 27, 
which is what I'm talking about, baptism into the body. Galatians 3, 27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It gives us another understanding of what this baptism into one body is. Because the church is the body of Christ, and I attend church, does not necessarily mean that I have been baptized into the body. Because it says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, like Moses, the people were baptized in, in Moses' right, good. What have, they, what have they done? They have put on Christ. So all those who are baptized into Christ have the character, the nature, the, they have identified themselves with Christ in terms of their character, in terms of their experience, in terms of their devotion, dedication and consecration to God as Christ did. We cannot have, we cannot claim to be baptized into the body and yet we are living contrary to the head of the body. If part of your body begin to function differently from how it should function, you become sick and your body can no longer function as it should. So he's saying here that as many as were baptized into Christ, were brought under the leadership of Christ, were brought into the body of Christ, that number they have put on Christ. They have identified themselves with Christ. The nature of Christ is in them. We cannot therefore lay claim to have been baptized and believing contrary to Christ. In Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, when we were brought under Christ, we died as Christ died. Do you understand? He is he's explaining something. If something is inside something, and that thing dies, the thing that is inside is also dead. So, if we were baptized into Christ, and Christ died, we also died. And then in verse 4, it says, Therefore, because we died with Christ, having been baptized in Him, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of... We are therefore new people. Baptism expects that our experience becomes a new experience in our walk with God. We cannot have left the old way of life, entered into this new way, and believing the old way, then nothing has happened. What we have is what I call a verbal baptism, not an actual baptism, not an experiential baptism. And this is crucial because it is this identity, this identification that actually makes us to be, to be said to be a part of the body of Christ. In Luke chapter 1, we see a, it, it is not really baptism, but it explains to an extent how it would work. For example, when we talk of baptism of suffering or baptism of fire, we are talking of a situation where you are being overwhelmed by suffering. Suffering is, over, is, is covering you, but you will overcome. Do you understand that? But you are being baptized. You know, Christ mentioned, said, can you go through the baptism wherewith I am being baptized? I was talking of that suffering. 
In Luke chapter 1 verse 35, after the angel had told Mary that she was going to bring forth, and Mary was saying, how can that be when I don't know a man? In verse 35, the Bible says, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will what? Overshadow you, will cover you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. That gives us an idea or understanding of what baptism is. Baptism has to do with being dipped into something. Being put into something. Being immersed into something. Submerged. And then, when you are re-emerging, it is not the same person that went in that is coming out. I give you, the, the, the Greeks in those days understood baptism in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the everyday life that they lived. For example, when they dyed the cloth, they considered it baptizing the cloth. So they pick a cloth that is white, mix their colors in their, in their bath, and baptize the cloth. Do you understand that now? In this dye solution. When the cloth comes out, is it the same cloth that is coming out? It has taken on the character of the dye. The character of the medium into which it was baptized. So there was that understanding. That having been baptized in Christ, like the cloth in a dye, when we are being pulled out, what are they going to be seeing in us? Christ. A newness of life. Baptism has to do with covering someone. The Bible mentions how Peter was walking on the street and they brought people that paraventure the shadow of Peter walking over them would bring healing. So baptism has to do with a covering of someone by a medium of baptism. So when we talk of baptism of the Holy Spirit, what are we talking about now? We're talking of the Holy Spirit overshadowing us, covering us such that we, we are now under the influence of that covering, which is the Holy Spirit. Is that understood? What our advice is, go to the website. Go to Word Center and the website. Look at, um, when you get to Word Center, look at personal slash small group, uh, I think small group Bible studies or so. When you click on that, you will see uh, some themes. Look at the theme that has to do with Christian foundation doctrines or something. I think there's a, there's a, there's a theme like that. Christian foundations or something like of that sort. When you click on that, you will see a series of studies. From study 0016, I think to study 0024, thereabout, I'm not sure. But from 16, study 0016, you have these teachings on doctrine of baptism. So I'm not reteaching it again. You can go there and look at it. There are Q&As that you have to answer and then the solution is also given to it there. What we are trying to do here is to introduce the subject of baptism. Because the Lord in verse 5 said, John the Baptist indeed truly baptized you in water. He baptized in water. But you will be baptized not many days from now in who? The Holy Ghost. Telling us that there are, there are more than one baptism. And then of course Hebrews 6 uh, 2 tells us the doctrine of baptisms and pluralizes it. Right away we want to go and look at John's baptism and its relevance for us today, Acts chapter 19, from verse 1 to 6. I'm going to read the New King James, but I'd like someone to open to the Living Bible because we are going to take the Living Bible after this. The Living Bible gives us better exposition on it. Acts chapter 19, 
from verse 1 to verse 6. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's take um, salvation. Read, read verses 3 and 4 in the Living Bible. Verses 3 and 4 in the Living Bible. Then what belief did you acknowledge at your baptism? Please note that. What belief did you acknowledge? There is an acknowledgement. In baptism, we are making a confession. Every baptism, there is a confession or a declaration. A statement that we are making or affirming. Is that understood? Continue, please. And they replied, What John the Baptist taught? Then Paul pointed out to them that John's baptism was to demonstrate the desire to turn from sin to God, and that those receiving the baptism must then go on to believe in Jesus, the one John said will come to Have you seen what John's baptism was doing? John's baptism was to awaken the, the, the souls of men to recognize, to realize that they were living apart from God and that they needed to come to God. And in so doing, he was preparing them for who? For the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a way, when they, when they, now, when they had agreed that they were sinners and they wanted to break free of their sins, they went to John at the, at the Jordan River and declared that I am a sinner and I want to be free from my sin and look forward to the salvation of God as it is approaching. And then they were put in the water and they were brought out. Do you understand that? Because it's going to lead us to the next scripture we want to look at, which is what John was saying. That was John's message. John's message was about um, repentance from sin based on realization of a sinful life, a turning away from sin, a turning towards God. And then the, the, the immersion, their immersion in water was there to, what's the word I'm looking for now? To affirm that what they are declaring they are now putting to practice. This, this, this water thing is ceremonially declaring what they have said. Is that understood? Um, is there another translation that would explain this to us? Is anybody with a translation? That is, that is the message, right? Okay. Do you see what he's saying there now? John's baptism prepared the hearts of the people for Christ. Which is why after they understood this, 
they were now baptized in the name of Jesus and were ready for Holy Spirit baptism. John was saying, when he says, that explains it. He was saying, yes, this is why you have not received the Holy Spirit or head of the Holy Spirit. Because you are following a baptism that was supposed to prepare you for Christ. Had you latched on to Christ, you would have heard about the Holy Spirit. So, with this understanding, let's move on now and see why John kept saying what he was saying. Matthew chapter 3, verse 5 to 11. Matthew 3, 5 to 11. It will suddenly open up the scriptures to us and enable us to understand why the things that were being said were being said. Matthew 3, from verse 5 to 11. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, that is to John, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, doing what? Confessing their sins. Note that they were doing what? Confessing their sins. When we come to salvation, what are we doing? We are confessing our sins. So John's baptism is aptly called a baptism unto repentance. Or baptism of repentance. It was referred to as a baptism because he was putting people in water. Do you understand? But what he was doing was dramatizing what ought to be happening in their lives. A change like the cloth that is entering a dye. When you bring that cloth out, it should take on the nature of the dye. Its nature should be changed. Now, he's not asking them to take on the nature of water. But he's saying that if you have entered this water, confessing your sins, you should change. Right? So let's continue to read. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the wrath to come? Why was he saying that? They just felt that it was any of their usual ceremonies where they come for a religious thing. They are put in water and they come up. John is saying, no, I am talking of something more, something deeper than just coming into water and getting out of the water. He called them brood of vipers. Because a viper always bites. A viper is poisonous. A viper can kill. So the fact that you put a viper in water and bring the viper out, has the, does the nature of the viper change? No, it is still poisonous. It's still deadly. So in verse 8 he says, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. What he's saying is that, even though I have put you in water, that is not enough. We must see the fruit of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. There are many of us who are just believing that because I've gone to church, I'm okay. No! There is baptism, a reality that must be addressed. Have you, if you say you have been saved, the question is, did you repent of sin? You say yes. Did you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? In other words, you were saying, confession, another word for confession is declaration. You declared that Jesus is your salvation. You are trusting him for your salvation. That's number one. Number two, you declared that Jesus is your Lord. And being your Lord, then you must do everything that he says. So you cannot lay claim to have been baptized when you are still doing your own thing. Do you get the point? In verse 10, it says, And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There are many people who sadly will enter into fire. We've said that in the course of our prayer meeting today. 
There are many people walking into hell. Believing that just going to church was enough. No change in their lives. No determination to change within them. They think it's just appearing in church that is the issue. No! It's much more than that. In verse 11 it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me. You see, John kept telling them, projecting them about Jesus coming. Is mightier than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This fire is talking about is the purging. It's more than the water. It's saying by the time he comes with his purifying fire, which could be sanctification, which could be suffering, whatever form you want to look at it, sanctification comes in different form. Is there to purge. In fact, if we, if we take a little bit and go to verse 12, you will see where it says, His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He said, when Christ comes, he will purge the church. Thoroughly purge it. No hypocrite will be able to escape. No deceiver will be able to escape. No cockroach will be able to hide. It doesn't matter how, how, maybe pastors don't know, maybe your brothers and sisters in the church, they don't know what you are doing. But when Christ comes on that day of judgment, he will thoroughly purge his flock. Let's look at Acts, uh, Luke chapter 3 now. Which is it's the same thing, but we are going to draw out something else as we look at this. Because when John told them that they should bring forth fruit meat for repentance, Luke explains how John addressed the issue. What the people said and how John addressed it. So we want to look at that. Luke chapter 3 from verse 7. Then he, that is John the Baptist, said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? We know he was addressing the Pharisees and the Sadducees here, right? From what we read in Matthew. In verse 8, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Many people are laying claim, we, we, we said that in our introduction, when we're looking at the, the, what we discussed two weeks ago. There are people who, whose passport or ticket for entering heaven is that, oh, my pastor knows me. Oh, I'm, I'm very, I'm supportive of my general vassal. It will fail you. God is able to raise stones to serve those pastors. So if you are banking on that, you have failed. That's what he's saying here. Those people who are laying claim to Abraham, he says God is able to raise stones. We are those stones that have been raised to Abraham. In verse 9 it says, And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You are expected as a result of baptisms to be bearing fruit. Very briefly, the four baptisms that we have, we have a baptism of position. The baptism that positions you in the body. We have the baptism that proclaims who we are in Christ. What a baptism. We have the baptism that empowers for service. Holy Spirit baptism. We have the baptism that purges and purifies. Baptism uh, of, of suffering or baptism of fire. Where this baptism do not produce the good fruit, then there's nothing that can be done. Do you understand? So you don't go and say, have I been baptized in water? Check. Have I been baptized uh, in the body? Check. Ah, I speak in tongues more than every other person. Check. I've gone through suffering. Check. The question is, at the end of the day, do you still have bitterness in you? Do you understand? If you are still bitter, 
baptism didn't work for you. Because the essence of the baptism is to purify you, is to purge you, is to empower you to serve. You've, you've laid claim to have received the Holy Spirit baptism. What are you doing with it? Just speaking in tongues? What is that? The Bible says he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, what does he do? Advise who? Himself. Has he used it to do anything? No. A man who's, who's speaking in a new tongue, what does he do? He's speaking mysteries to who? To God. Just he and God communicating. He has not used it to, to be a blessing to anybody. So baptism has a purpose. Where the purpose is not being fulfilled, the baptism has not helped you. In fact, you have not been, we can say that you are still living in sin. So, we, we want to debunk this tradition of men that believes that if you are baptized in a particular church, either in water or whatever, that is the only time that you are going to be saved. Baptism by itself does not save you. Who is the, who is the Savior? Christ is the Savior. By, by going through baptism, we are identifying ourselves with Christ. Now, if I identify myself with Christ, and yet I'm not living as Christ wants me to live, I make myself a subject that, you remember what Christ said in Revelation chapter 3? He said, because you are neither hot nor cold, what will I do? I will spew you up. We're just going to be thrown out of him. So let's go to verse 10 now. So the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? He have said we should bear fruit of repentance. What shall we do? How do we know that we are bearing fruit of repentance? From verse 11. He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Sharing. You can't be storing, amassing things and not be sharing. And you say, you have changed. How have you changed? Do you understand? That's what John is about to say here. In verse 12, Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? You see, these people, once John began to speak, they recognized that the baptism they were coming for was not just something of form. There was a depth in it. There was something that is expected of them as a result of this act of baptism. So they asked, what shall we do? In verse 13. And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. Don't take bribes. Don't take what, does, what is not your salary. Be content with what you are given. Don't go beyond what you are given. In verse 14, likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? Soldiers here, we can liken them to policemen, as well as soldiers in Nigeria. So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone, or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. You, 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 you want to be baptized? You want to show that you have stopped sinning? He addresses each of the, 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 the areas of these people. So you go to church. You're a policeman. Are you collecting bribes? You're not satisfied with your wages? Are you looking at people and accusing them falsely so that they can give you a bribe? They bring a matter to you. They report a matter to you. What you should do as a police officer, when you look at the matter, it's a civil matter, say, call that person, come, let's, let's talk to the person. You, you separate, you, 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 you resolve the conflict at the police station. But you don't do anything. What do they do when, when you go to report? They say, let us incident it. They will put it inside the incident book. It's a civil matter. Then when you can say, oh, we have incidented it. You have to pay money for us to remove it from the book. That's what he's saying here. You're a policeman, you're a Christian, and that's what you're practicing. You're a lawyer, and you know that this man is a criminal. You didn't advise him, my brother, if I were you, make your confessions and plead for mercy from the judge. That's what you should do as a lawyer. You don't go and defend a, a known felon. If you're a Christian lawyer, there are many lawyers who are in church who will go to hell. That is the reality. What law school teaches you 
It's not what the Bible is teaching you. Law school says you should defend to the best of your ability. Part of your defense is to tell a criminal, confess. If he doesn't like it, let him go elsewhere. So, but you will be poor. So what? So what? I remember once in the States, I went to visit a friend and, and I was hearing, I went, no, I went for a program. I was in the States, then there was this program, so I went for the program because it was a Nigerian church. And I saw anointing oil bottles all over the place. So I spoke to this, my pastor, who then was a pastor in America. I said, you people are carrying anointing bottle in uh, America. He said, ah, pastor, if you don't, if you don't allow them to carry anointing bottle, you will starve to death. So you allow them to, you allow them to carry anointing bottle. What for? Because you don't want to starve to death. Verse 15. Now, as the people were in expectation, I think we've discussed this before, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. So you see, John was not just coming and dumping people into water. He was actually exhorting them. He was preaching. He was challenging everything that they knew and brought to the fore their sinfulness and their need to be purged. Now, I want to draw something out. In verse 20, if you go to verse 21 and 22. Now, remember, we said that when the people came to John's baptism, one of the things they were doing as they were being taken into water and out was what? They were confessing what? Their sins. Do you understand that? Now, let's look at verse 21 and 22. Remember, Jesus went to the baptism and the Bible says he was without sin. So, what was he going to be doing? Would he be confessing sin? Look at verse 21. When all the people were baptized, of course, we know what they were doing in baptism. They were confessing their sins. It came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. What was Jesus doing? And while he was prayed. In our baptism, we are praying. We are not confessing. We confess sin at salvation. Do you understand? The baptisms that we are talking about. Baptism into the body. Christian baptism. Baptism in Holy Spirit. Baptism uh, of suffering. The, the, the fundamental, the essence of being baptized does is that you have repented of sin. If you have not repented of sin, nobody is going to baptize you into the body. Later we will see that it is not a man that baptizes you into the body. A pastor cannot baptize you into the body. Your friend cannot baptize you into the body. That is the, the job of the Holy Spirit. So, while he prayed, he wasn't confessing sin. What was he doing? He was praying. And so what happened? The heavens were, the, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. What we have looked at now has a bearing on why John came baptized. Not only was John's baptism one of calling people to repentance and preparing themselves to receive Christ. But there was more to John's baptism. John chapter 1. I will be reading verse 19 through to 28. And then we'll take 29 to 34. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? I think we, we, we spoke a little bit about, about this earlier on. Uh, 
I, I think in Matthew, we spoke about it in Mark. Was it? No, not Mark. We spoke about it some time back. Two weeks ago, or two or three weeks ago, when we were discussing uh, waiting for the second coming, expectations and how people were waiting for him. Now they were asking, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. The scriptures are stressing the, conf- the confession, the declaration. A confession is a declaration. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. Then they said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. John understood where he belonged. He was not calling himself what he did not have. He knew where he fitted in in the scriptures and stayed there. There are many people who are calling themselves God now, calling themselves Jesus. They say, we will look, I am the Christ that is to come. Jesus had told us about that. Verse 24. Now, those who were sent were the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. These things were done in Bethabara, in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now let's go to 29. And you will see the essence of John's baptism. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him. Please note this in verse 31. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with what? Water. John could have preached the way we are preaching. He didn't need to put anybody in water. But when he got his mandate or his commission, he was told, as you are preaching repentance and preparing the people's heart to receive the coming Messiah, put them in water. Because there is something that is going to happen. Let's go to verse 32. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. Remember what we read in Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22. Remember that? I did not... Sorry, uh, verse 32 again. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And he remained upon him. 33. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So you see another reason why John came baptizing in water. To identify Christ. Because they told him this is the sign you are going to use in knowing the Christ. Somebody will come to your baptism. When he is coming out of the water you will see the Spirit of God descending upon him. But he will not return. He will remain. That is the Christ. That is the Son of God. John's John's work was done from that day. And if you go to the next verse which is not in your outline from verse 35 you will see that John will now use the same thing to tell his two disciples who were following him. John the elder 
who became the elder, and Andrew, the brother of Peter. They were the ones who now followed Jesus and said, and Jesus turned back and said, what, what seek you? And they said, oh, we, we've come to, we want to know where you live. That was the identification mark. So, to answer the question, is John's baptism still relevant today? The answer is no, not as it was practiced. Because Christ has been identified. The people have, have, have been brought to repent of their sins. So, is John's baptism necessary? No. But is it still relevant? The context of it, the essence of it, yes. We still call men to repentance and point them to Christ. But do we practice John's baptism? No. John practiced water, baptizing people in water because God had told him, somebody is coming to your baptism. When, you, when he comes for that baptism, upon him, the, the Holy Spirit will, will, will descend and will remain. That is the Christ. Remember when the Lord Jesus went to be baptized. John said, ah, I'm not worthy to be baptized by you. Why you, uh, you, you are the one to be baptizing. Why he said, let it to be so with your righteousness. Part of righteousness was you have to reveal to the, who, I, who I am. Now, can you imagine with all of this that John still had the boldness to ask Jesus in Matthew 11, are you the Christ or is there another one that we should be expecting? Because he probably would have expected that if this is the Christ and the one that baptized you, have you not heard that I'm in prison? Maybe also to say, please tell him where I am. Take that message to him and if he asks, why did he not come? Why is he sending you? Tell him, I'm in prison. He needs to set me free. But what was Jesus' answer? Say, go and tell John. The poor have the gospel preached to them. The lame walk. The blind see. The, 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 the dead. The, the dead here. The, the dead are raised back to life. I never hear where he, I never heard there where he said, the poor are given money. Did you hear anything like that? Eh? No, I'm asking now. Oh. He said, uh, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Because John was already taking offense that if you are really the Christ, come and set me free. There are many of us who are taking offense. Many people have left the church because they feel that if indeed I'm born again, why, why am I not rich? Why has this not happened? Why don't I have that miracle? So many people are having miracle services and I venture to say that all they are using there, most of them, not all of them, most of them, is simple psychology. You have a crowd of 5,000 people. You say somebody here has fever. Who does not have fever? Once you say somebody here has fever, somebody will be feeling feverish. Let's conclude. The understanding of the Jews in the early church, was that baptism could be likened to what they were doing in their ceremonial washings before eating, after a day's walk, and even before prayers. We have debunked that already. This was what they called baptism. But the Lord Jesus was, through the word of God, saying to us that this is not baptism. And that's an Old Testament practice. Traditions of, traditions of men have done away with it. But far from just being a ceremonial practice of washings, baptism is much more. For one, it is not in all instances that baptism has water as a medium of baptism. Secondly, baptism is a matter of faith. For the medium of baptism is not usually water or visible. Thirdly, even where water is the medium of baptism, the water is nothing more than a means and does not bring about salvation. Do you understand that? So, there is more to baptism than just uh, water baptism. No. In general, there are certain parameters that make a baptism a baptism. And these are the baptizer. There must be a baptizer. The one who dips the person to be baptized into the medium of baptism. And this baptizer is divinely appointed. Remember, one, I think it's in First Corinthians. Paul said, I thank God that I didn't baptize too many people. 
save Crispus and one or two people and maybe a few other people from house. Otherwise, I didn't, I didn't come baptizing. That's not my goal. I had another assignment. But I just had to baptize them. And he, he had divine backing to baptize. Then, there's the baptized. The person to be baptized. Who must be prepared a priori? You must be prepared beforehand. You just don't go. In, in, in Christianity, our baptisms are such that there's preparation. The reason why you find, when we read the book of Acts, especially amongst the Jews, people being baptized immediately after they receive Christ, is because John had prepared them. Do you understand? They were prepared. Now, we need to be prepared. Otherwise, we are just going to have the situation that we have today, where people are baptized, but they are still living in sin. They don't understand what they are doing. Then, there's the medium of baptism, which is not necessarily water. In Holy Spirit baptism, Holy Spirit is the medium. In baptism into the body, the church or Christ is the medium. The purpose of baptism, generally it has to do with Christ. Every baptism has to do with Christ. If it has nothing to do with Christ, forget it, it's not a baptism. Um, the precondition of baptism. There's a precondition. Remember John gave them precondition. What was the precondition? He said, come, make sure that your heart is ready to change. Don't just come because you want to come. There must be a willingness in your heart, a desire to change. You must first be born again. And what you should have there is a semicolon, not apostrophe, after again. And the confession for the baptism. Simply put, the declaration being made at the baptism. When I'm baptized into the body and I, and I yield to it, what am I declaring? I'm actually declaring that Jesus is my Lord. And that he has placed me where I should be. I can't just jump out of that church. That local assembly. Do you understand? I remain where, where Christ by his spirit has put me. There I am going to be nourished. There I am going to be engaged to nourish others. In Holy Spirit baptism. What is our confession? We are confessing that in, in being thus empowered. We are going out to serve the Lord. We don't, we don't receive Holy Spirit baptism just because we want to speak in tongues and sit down in a church. We are saying that we want, we, we, we want to be useful in the kingdom of God. You shall be witnesses of me after that you are baptized, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Witnessing more than the mouth with other things. In following these parameters, John's baptism, which was really a preparation for the baptized to receive Christ and all that he brings, is not one of the baptisms that Christians engage in today. Though its significance for Christianity is unchallengeable. We can't challenge it. It's very significant for Christianity. That is the confession of sins leading to repentance. John's baptism also served a major purpose. It was the means for John the Baptist to be able to identify and reveal to Israel at the time who the coming Messiah is. For example, why are we preaching today? What is the message of the church? The message of the church is to prepare people for the second coming of Christ. If Christ tarries and they sleep, they fall asleep as in death, then what happens? They go to heaven. They are guaranteed. Do you understand that? So today, we must understand that baptisms, for there are more than one, play a major role in bringing the believer in Christ to the place of confessing Christ, not just for the sake of making a confession or declaration, but rather for identifying oneself with Christ in character, experience, and devotion and consecration to God. 
Everything that Christ did on the earth, through baptisms, we must do. Do you understand? Christ came and fully fulfilled the will of his Father. We must do likewise. If I am not pursuing the will of my Father in heaven, the baptism I did didn't mean anything. Do you understand? It must be experiential. The nature, the character of Christ must be manifest in my life. If the baptisms you have engaged in have not achieved this, and you are still living in sin, or living for yourself, or living for this world, then you, my friend, are still a sinner and not of Christ. For baptisms are about Christ and the church. So, as we look at the doctrines, or the doctrine of baptisms, maybe we'll continue next week. I don't know how God will direct us. I want you to ask yourself, many of, some of you will say you are baptized already. How does it relate, how does it relate you to Christ? Have you changed? Are you witnessing for Christ? Are you able to withstand adversity? If Christ comes into the church and is thoroughly purging his flow, will you be among the chaff that will be thrown into fire? Or will you be, long, will you be among the wheat that is kept in the bag? Let us pray. I want you to talk to God. I want you to cry to him if possible. We have been baptized, but the experience of Christ... Is it our experience where he communed daily and regularly with his father in heaven? Is that your experience? By baptism, we identify with Christ. Is that your experience? Have you identified with Christ both in life and in death? Is your experience of suffering one that strengthens you the more? Or one that makes you fall apart? Put simply, are you living the life of Christ? Otherwise, these baptisms that you have gone through have not fulfilled anything in your life. Like one man of God said, for water baptism, it means you were just a chicken that they threw water on. It didn't wet the chicken one bit. It merely fell on its feathers and it shook it up. Or are you like the pig that the Bible says, you haven't washed the pig, it returns to its soul, returns to, to its mess, returns to roll and grovel that baptism has not benefited you one bit. Because in experience, you have not received it. Maybe in form, you received it. But in experience, you didn't receive it. You need to talk to God tonight. Tell the Lord that you want to begin to experience what you received in form. You want to start being a partaker with Christ of his life and even of his death. So that as he was raised up from the dead you also will be raised from the dead. Talk to the Lord. That what you have heard tonight will not just be a teaching, but it will be something that will trigger in you a hunger to be like Christ in every material particular. Talk to the Lord. I'm so glad I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I belong to my God. I'm so glad I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I belong to my... That's what baptism achieves. Belonging to Christ. One who is influenced by Christ. One who recognizes Christ as his Lord, his Master. Ask the Lord to make the baptisms that you have gone through more than a form. To make it an experience in your life. You have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And where's the power? Where's the witnessing? 
The Bible tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. That must be our experience if we have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Going about, doing good, healing all that are oppressed of the devil. Because God is with us. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Pray. Pray. That this will not just be a message. Rather, it will, it will serve as a call to action for you. Don't think of A or B. Think of yourself alone. This message is directed at you. To, put, to, to begin to leave the experience of the baptisms that you have gone through. Have you been baptized in water? Then what, 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 do you, what are you doing with Satan? What are you doing with the world? Why don't you have brothers and sisters in the church? Why is it that your brothers and sisters are your village meeting people? They are the unbelievers who are taking bribes. Because they always give you money. But in the church, you don't have brothers and sisters. We don't know anything about you. Because you are living a different life outside. You are a hypocrite. You need to pray. Ask the Lord to remove hypocrisy from your life. Make you a true child of God. One who has no cause to be afraid of anything. One who is open to God. Have you gone through baptism of suffering? And yet all you are doing is complaining and murmuring. No prayer. No putting your trust in God. No turning to God for salvation and deliverance. Pray that henceforth your life will be a living experience of Christ's own experience while here on earth. Actually, that's what baptism ought to be doing in our lives. Turning us like the cloth that enters the solution of dye. The, taking on the nature and the characteristics of that dye. The color of the dye. We, we, we become Christ's. Small Christ's here on the earth. Preaching as Christ preached. Casting out demons as Christ cast out demons. But keeping also before us every time. The very salvation of our souls. Which is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 27. He says, oh, I, always, I always beat my body. I put my body under. I pommel it. I punch it. I give it blows. So that after I have preached, I do not become a castaway. Father, we need your help. Father, we, we plead with you. Help us to become who you want us to become. Let us not just be people who talk about how I have been baptized in water in this church. But I can speak in tongues because I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit and so on and so forth. And yet, the fruit of these baptisms are not being seen. Father, we desire fruit to be seen. We desire the experience of Christ to be our own experience also. For baptisms should rightly bring us to the experience of Christ. Thank you, everlasting Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.